Well, good morning. How is everybody? All right, that was decent. We're going to try that again. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want to act like I've just decided to give each one of you free ice cream today. Okay, how is everybody? (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. It's summertime. I'm so glad you're here for uh, week two of our series called The Moment Maker. And uh, some of you go, are we talking about the monument maker? No, we're talking about the moment maker. And uh, I am so thankful for Chris Paschal last week. He brought the house, okay? Our high school and college pastor, Chris, he did a phenomenal job. He taught us about the moments in our lives that God creates and how important those moments are. You know, when God creates a moment, the, the, the desire is not that we worship the moment. The desire is that we turn around and stand in awe of the moment maker. And I love what he shared. He shared the story about Jesus taking the disciples up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was this moment when it was just like this, oh! type moment, and it was just awesome, and they were like, hey, Jesus, let's build a house here, and Jesus said, I'm not building houses and monuments, and they turned around, and all they saw was Jesus, and I just think, man, that's how God creates moments in our lives. It's when he realizes, when we realize, it's not about the moments that we try to memorialize, it's about the moment that we realize who the moment maker really is. And so today I'm excited that you're here. If you go, oh my gosh, this is just like July the 12th, you know, we're going to get in, we're going to check the box, we're going to do church. You came to the wrong church today because I am stinking fired up today, okay? Like I'm excited to be here with you. So let me say this. How many of you guys have ever noticed that your life seems to be full of just a sequence of events? And there are six to seven, maybe four or five, maybe three or four of those moments, those sequence of events that tend to define who you become in life. For instance, one of the moments I remember, I don't know why this stuck out to me, it was the year after the uh, the Chicago Bears won the Super Bowl in 86, the day after I got to go get my driver's license because it was my birthday. And I remember going to the DMV and walking away and looking at my parents and saying, see ya. I got in the car and I drove away, and I was like, man, that was a defining moment for me. I had a license to drive. I remember the day I looked at Tracy down at the front of the Council Road Baptist Church there in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and I looked at her and I said, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I do, I do, I do, (laughs) you know, and it was that aha moment, you know, kind of like that moment when you ride that big roller coaster and you hear it going, chick, 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 is that last click, all right? Life is full of a sequence of moments that seem to string themselves together, and those moments end up defining us. And it's not probably the small moments that we remember, but it's the big moments. And, and for some of us, we spend a lot of time looking at the moments in the rearview mirror of our life. Think about that for a second. Have you ever thought about why in the world do they make the rearview mirror so small and the front mirror or the front glass so big, right? Because you're not supposed to stare at the rearview mirror. Now, let me say this. I've been driving around some of you long enough. Get your eyes off the rearview mirror, okay? We have this big thing in front of us of all that's before us, and yet we spend most of our time focusing on the things that are in the rearview mirror. And for some of us, our life is defined by what we see in the rearview mirror. We always go back to moments that used to be. Moments that could have been. Moments that were in our life. Not the moments that are in our life. 
And what happens is you get so focused on what's in the rearview mirror that you start realizing that what's ahead of you in the windshield is coming faster than you thought, right? Remember those moments like, man, is my 13-year-old always going to be this disrespectful? (laughs) And then they turn 21 and you are genius, okay? Like you're smart all of a sudden. Why? Because that moment's over. But if we're not careful, what happens is we spend so much time worrying about the moments in the past that we don't make use of the moments that are before us, and then we feel guilty about the moments that we miss. I've been there. Life seems to get faster and faster and faster. One of the things I've noticed is that as we age, our view of life gets narrower, right? I mean, I just want to say this. I don't know why. Maybe you're not this way. Why do I care so much about the weather? When I was 30, I didn't give a flip about the weather. Like, I didn't care what the weather channel said. The other day, Tracy and I were, were having dinner, and my phone went off, and she said, is that a text? Is that, is that? I said, no, uh, it, we just had a lightning strike. <laughs> she said, what? I said, yeah, I've got this app. Like, when lightning strikes around us, it goes to my phone. <laughs> Listen, I'm so ashamed, okay? Pray for me. But here's what happens. We start looking at different moments when we age and our, our, our view and our moments get narrower and narrower. And if we're not careful, they just seem to be more and more fleeting in our life. And if we're not careful, what will happen is instead of letting God really show us how awesome he is as the moment maker, we spend our life looking at the moments that are in the background. You know, Have you ever been to a place in your life where you had a dream and you said, you know, this dream that I have, that moment's over? I mean, I I know some of you men, you're probably sitting here going, man, Sean, back when I was in college, I could have done 50 things and now I have about five to choose from. Sometimes in life we have moments and dreams that seem unfulfilled. You ever get stuck in that moment? I have. You're kind of stuck in between what used to be, but you're also not where you hope to be. And this is why I think a lot of people in their midlife go through a midlife crisis, right? We don't really know who we are and we get stuck in the moment and the dream seems to die and the promise seems to be left unfulfilled. And we go, well, maybe God didn't really mean that for my life. Maybe he really wanted me to do X or Y or Z. And so we give up on the dream or we leave the dream that God put in our heart as unfulfilled. I've been there in my life. Because here's what happens. God gives us a promise for our life and we begin to operate in it and we begin to search for it. And then all of a sudden we realize that it's hard. And we hope for things, but hope seems to be very far out and it seems to be very delayed. And then we go to the scripture, which the scripture is true in Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so we're like, well, you know, the the proverb here is true. Like, I can't just keep hoping that things will change, that this dream will be fulfilled, that God will bring this to fruition. And so what we do is we tap out. And we say, I'm done with that dream. Let me ask you a very profound question today. (laughs) Let me ask you an incredible question for July the 12th, 2015. Where do dead dreams go? See, I can tell just by looking at some of your faces, that's a very painful conversation. Here's what I know about life. Our dreams in life get buried in bitterness 
or they get reborn with hope. can't tell you the amount of people that when they look back over their life, it seems to be a series of sequence of moments that led them to where they are in their bitterness. Instead of this hope that God's not done yet. I mean, we sing that song, you are not done. Do we really believe that? Like, does that crept into our theology of who we think God is as the moment maker? Because here's what I know about my life. My dreams either get buried in bitterness or they continually get reborn with hope. And all of us are going to face these moments in our lives. We're not, we can't skirt away from them. But I think what God wants to do is he wants us to understand something about our lives. Listen, God doesn't waste moments in our lives. He rescues them. Some of you are stuck in a moment between God fulfilling a promise in your life and you're kind of in that midlife or mid-faith crisis and it's like, God, I don't know if this is ever going to come to fruition. It seems to be dead. It seems like the dream is gone. And God's saying, listen, I don't waste moments in your lives. I rescue them. Last week we talked about how God creates moments in our life as the moment maker. But God also rescues moments in our lives. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, okay? For those of you who are super smart, that's right after 1 Kings, all right? And uh, as you're turning over there, I want to tell you the story real quick. We're going to talk today about a guy named Elisha. Now, everyone in the room knows who Elijah is. Some of you go, I've never heard of Elisha, okay? Some of you think Elisha was like the JV version of Elijah. Now, let me tell you who Elijah was. Elijah was the prophet of God who called down fire from heaven, and it consumed all the prophets of Baal. And so we know him. He was the guy that like never died. Like God just took him away in a whirlwind. But Elijah had an assistant who did life with him and his name was Elisha. The Bible tells us that when Elijah was getting ready to leave and he was getting ready to be taken away, Elisha went to God and he, 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 he said, God, I want something. And Elijah said, hey, what can I do for you? And, 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 and Elisha said, I want double of what God put on you. And that's a pretty cool prayer. I mean, how many of you get up and say, Lord, there are these people who've lived such an incredible life before me and I want twice as much as what you did in their life. That's what he said. He said, God, I want a double portion of Elijah's spirit on my life. I mean, it's crazy because Elijah gave Elisha his cloak. And when Elijah was gone, one of the first things that Elisha did was he took the cloak and he touched the Jordan River and it split in half. <laughs> That's powerful. I mean, some of you go, yeah, this is, this, is, this is real life, okay? I mean, it gets better. I mean... The Bible says that all the people, when all of this happened and Elijah left and Elisha came on the scene, all the people knew that the spirit of Elijah had rested on Elisha's life. So let me tell you how cool that is. That would be like me getting a basketball and putting a court up here and you guys realizing that the spirit of Michael Jordan is in this body. Okay? I'm about to dunk on you. So Elisha, man. God was all over him. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, one of the first miracles he ever did was they went to this body of water right after they crossed the Jordan, and it was all polluted water. And he just reached down and he touched the water, and it was healed. So you can't look at Elisha and say, well, he's the B team. He's the JV version of Elijah. 
<laughs> no, man, God was all over his life. In fact, one of the craziest stories, Elisha was balding. Some of you men in this room, you have the same challenge I have. I've looked at it as a blessing, okay? I have a retreat ministry going on right here, all right? Some of you go, Sean, we're seeing more and more of your forehead. Well, I'm glad you are, okay? But I just want to tell you something. Some of you in this room, you're like, I'm losing my hair. Listen, Elisha, he probably lost his hair because he was kind of a bald guy. And so the story goes like this, that he was walking around, and as he was walking through this one area, a group of teenagers came to heckle him, which is proof that he was a student pastor, okay? They came to heckle him, and they said, hey, bald guy, hey, bald guy. (laughs) I love what Elisha did. The Bible says that he called out some bears out of the woods, and the bears came, and he called down a curse on these teenagers. Hallelujah. And 42 of them died, and they were mauled by bears. Just read it. It's right there. 2 Kings chapter 2 and (laughs) 3. So here's the point. God's hand was on Elisha. When God's hand and God's favor is on a person's life, they're unstoppable. So 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 8. I want you to understand how God doesn't waste moment, how he rescues moments. One day Elisha went to Shunem. And a well-to-do, verse 8, a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. And so whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. And she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. She knew he was a prophet. Let's make a small room on the roof and put a bed in it and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. Now, why was this woman a well-to-do woman? Okay, some people say, well, she was popular or she was rich. She was well-to-do because everyone knew that she was a generous woman. And everyone knew that she was influential. When she did something like other people noticed, and so that's why she was well-to-do. Look what it says in verse 11. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. And he said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. And Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Kind of like the whole Abraham and Sarah thing, right? Her husband's old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. And about the time that next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord. She objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. Here's what she said. Don't you get my hopes up. You ever been there in your life? You ever been stuck in that moment? God, don't get my hopes up. Because if you get my hopes up, you're going to let me down again. Don't get my hopes up because I've had a lot of promises that things have promised me in my life before that they could never make good on. See, here's why we get stuck in moments in our lives. We get stuck because we think God wastes moments in our lives instead of rescues moments in our lives. And this woman felt the same way. We do this to God all the time. God, I know that you've promised me this. I know that you promised me that you would give me a child. But Lord, we haven't gotten pregnant yet. God, I know you promised me that if I would start giving and tithing that you would meet my need. But God, I don't know where the money's going to come this month. 
God, I know that you promised me that, that if I would remain faithful and if I would honor you first, that God, you would honor me, but it seems like everyone is dishonoring me. We all get stuck there. And what we do to God is we do the same thing. We say, God, don't get my hopes up. I know you've promised me so many things in my life. I know that you have a, a purpose and a plan. I mean, we quote it all the time to the graduates when they cross the stage. But don't get my hopes up. We live in a don't get my hopes up world. Look what the Bible says in verse 17. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. And the child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. And after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. Some of you can amen to that. Here's why. Because that's where your dream is. Died in your lap. You say, God, I, I don't really believe that you have a plan for me because every time I start following you, it just seems like all hell breaks loose. It seems like the, the more I press into you, Jesus, the more I lean into you, the, the harder things come. And, and Lord, I don't understand. So he says, don't get my hopes up. She has a baby and the baby crawls up in her lap and dies. I'm telling you, there's one pain I don't ever want in my life, and it's the pain of holding a child that has died. Where do your dead dreams go? Here's what her response would have been normally. God, you got me into this. I told you, don't get my hopes up. Hey, Elisha, don't promise me something God can't fulfill. Don't bring me to a place and leave it halfway done. You brought me a child and the child died. And I've been there. And I would say this is the place where most people walk away from God, but God never walks away from them. God gives you a promise and then suddenly you realize the dream is left unfulfilled. What do you do in life when the dream is unfulfilled? You say, Sean, I believe that God has a plan for my life. I do too. But some of you are stuck in the moment and wondering, is God going to make good on his plan? If you have a pen, I want you to write a couple things down because I think this story illustrates what we need to see today. Here's what I know. We choose where we bring the unfulfilled promises in our lives. We choose. We choose where we bring our unfulfilled promises. There are moments, like I said, they become strings of moments and those moments come together and then suddenly our life is defined by those defining moments. But we choose where we bring those moments. Do we bring them to God or do we bury them? Remember what I said? Most of the moments in our life are bitter instead of reborn with hope. Verse 21, look what the Bible says this woman did. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. It would have been customary for her to have taken the dead body and that time of the year because it was harvesting season, they were out there harvesting when he got sick, that you would have never left a dead body in a house, but you certainly would have never left it on the second floor. 
decomposition in the smell alone would say, you would never do that. Why did she choose to take the body where she did? Because she realized, I choose where I bring the unfulfilled promise. Her husband would have probably noticed that, hey, hey, something's up here, but, but she took it to God. Here's what we're quick to do. We're really quick to bury the unfulfilled promises of God in our life. Where do you take your unfulfilled promises? The Bible says that she took this boy, this promise, and she laid it on the bed, and then she made a decision. I'm going to go find the prophet. We read on in the scripture that she grabbed a donkey and she went to where Elisha was. And and when Elisha saw her, he cried out to her. He said, is everything okay? And she said, it's all well. But yet it wasn't. She got to him and suddenly in verse 27, look what it says. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. And Gehazi came over to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me why. And then look at verse 28. Didn't I ask you for a son, my Lord? She says, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, I did not tell you. Don't raise my hopes. Let's be honest, man. Life's cruel sometimes. We plan to grow old together, but at age 50, he got cancer. We plan to to get married, but he was killed in a car accident. Sometimes we don't want the reality of that part of our life. But here's what she did. She brought the promise that was brought to her, and she brought it back to the feet of of the one who knew the promise keeper because he was the moment maker. You choose, I choose, where we bring the unfulfilled promises of God. Listen, you can take him to social media. Social media is not the moment maker. You can take him to a friend and Although it's great to have a friend in your life. But I want to tell you the moment maker, he's waiting for you to bring the unfulfilled promise. Because we choose where we bring it. Here's what I know. God puts promises in our lives and dreams in our lives that are his to fulfill. And if he's the promise maker, he's the promise keeper. Do you get that? You go, well, I don't know if I can trust God. Well, I want you to hear the rest of the story. It gets really good here. Here's what I know. God can rescue moments that we think are dead. <laughs> like I said, we're really quick to bury the unfulfilled promises of God in our life. Look at verse 31. Gehazi went on ahead of him. What happened? She got to the prophet. She said, man, I, I'm destroyed. Why did you bring my hopes up? And all of a sudden... Elisha says, okay, Gehazi, I want you to go back to where the boy is, and I want you to take my staff, and I want you to lay it on his head. So verse 31, Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. And so Gehazi went back to meet Elisha, 
and told him the boy was not awakened. And when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on the couch. And he went in and he shut the door on the two of them and he prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and he lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And he stretched himself out on him and the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room. And then he got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. And the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. And when he, she came in, he said, take your son. You see, here's where some of us get stuck. We get stuck because we think God can't rescue moments that are dead. The moment maker, he can rescue moments that we think are forever gone. I want you to hear this today. If you don't hear anything else I say, I want this to ring in your ears. God can do more in a moment than I can do in a lifetime. Do you believe that? I want to ask you today, do you believe that? If you don't believe that, then let's turn out the lights, let's go home, let's sell the building, because God is no longer the moment maker, he's just the moment taker. But I promise you this, God can do more in a moment than I can do in 50 lifetimes. The Bible says the boy was dead. What does he do? He stretches out over the boy. Listen, some of you, you need to go to the dead promises, the unfulfilled promises of God, and you need to stretch your life out over them, and you need to stay with God until God answers you. Don't go bury it in the backyard. It ain't dead yet. It ain't over till God says it's over. Amen? It ain't over. Listen, until Jesus steps his foot back on this earth or you die, it ain't over. And I'm pretty good about that. I like that. Because God can rescue moments that we think are dead. Don't bury your unfulfilled promises of God. Bring them to God. That's what this woman did. And God rescued the moment. See, I love this about God. He can rescue the moment, or he can rescue me. (laughs) Oh, and he loves to do both. You say, well, God didn't do it the way that I wanted it to be done, but God did this. That's right, because he's sovereign. I mean, let let me bring this real practical to us today. Some of us over the last couple of weeks, we have been really jacked out of shape by the Supreme Court's decision regarding gay marriage. And it's funny because I just want to be straight up. Some of you are like, when are you going to make a political statement regarding, listen, I don't need to make a political statement. Here's what I want to tell you. I don't trust in the lawmaker. I trust in the moment maker. God can do more in a moment than I can do in 50 lifetimes. And I want to say this to you today. Don't get jacked out of shape when people make laws. Listen, God's laws always trump man's laws. Always. You go, well, I don't like it. Well, you don't have to like it. Listen, the truth is this. We are here. The darker the darkness gets, God has called us to go be light because darkness needs light. And we have the opportunity to go set this world ablaze. Why? Because we serve the moment maker. He brings dead people back to life. 
He can rescue the moment. He can rescue me. I I was reading Ephesians the other day. This one just lit me up like a Roman candle. Listen to what it says, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able, look at your neighbor and say, who is able? Say it real quick, go. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we think or ask according to the power that is at work within us. God is able. Just the fact that he's able. Now to him who is able. Here's what we do. We look at the moments of our life that seem unfulfilled or dead. And we go, well, if this person wouldn't have done this, then, then we would have had this. And if this, if this wouldn't have happened, if the economy would have changed. And guys, listen, you're going to wish your whole life away that way. Do you realize the moment maker is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than you and I could ever think or ask? You say, Sean, you're crazy. Yep, I sure am. I sure am. I've seen God take unfulfilled promises in my life and answer them like that. And you say, well, are you ever stuck in unfulfilled promises? Yeah, all the time. Lord, I've been praying for years for this. God, I'm I'm asking you to do this. God, I'm asking you to change this. Here's what God says to me, Sean. I'm able. And the sheer fact that I'm able opens up a whole amazing doors of possibilities for me to work. Here's what we do, though. We let our experience dictate our view of God in those moments. We don't need to do that. In fact, I want you to hear this. Don't let your theology be dictated by your experience. Let your experience be dictated by your theology. You know what theology is, right? Your view of God, like who you think God is. And it, like I said, it's at these moments that we think things are dead, that we want to walk away from God or we want to push God away or we want to blame God. And God's saying, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't let your theology be wrecked by your experience. Let your experience be changed by who you know the moment maker to be. He can bring dead moments back to life. He does it all the time. Some of you are dealing with illnesses. You're dealing with bad relationship, financial situations. You're like, Sean, all hope is lost. Listen, all hope is not lost. We serve the moment maker. So don't let your theology be shaped by your experience. Let your experience be shaped by your theology. And this is the last one that I think ought to really get us in understanding how does God rescue moments in our life. The moment maker is able to rescue and fulfill every promise he has made. God promised this boy a son. That son died. You know what that means? God's name was on the line. You know where you want to be in your life when it comes to these ideas of moments? You want to be in the spot where God's name and his fame is on the line. Not when your name or your fame or your reputation or, you know. I mean, I don't think Elijah went into this room and started praying, Lord, I need you to do something really cool because if you don't come through, they're going to think I'm less than Elijah. (laughs) I don't think that's what he prayed. I think Elisha got in that room and here's what he said. God, you are able to bring this boy back to life. 
the moment maker, he's able to not only rescue it, but he's able to fulfill every promise. He's able to fulfill. You see, remember what we said? We get stuck in moments when we feel like those moments are left unfulfilled. Like, God, when are you going to come through? God, when, when are you going to answer my prayer? God, when, when, how long do I have to wait? Here's what's crazy about this whole story. The Bible says the boy was healed. He got up and his mom came and took him away. But let me tell you the story behind the story that you may not realize. Did you realize in the Old Testament there are seven miraculous births? Seven babies that came about through a miraculous birth, just like the Shunammite boy. Those births are Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, Samson, Samuel, and the unnamed Shunammite boy. You say, what does that have to do? Well, seven in the scriptures, the perfect number, perfection. There's a lot of people that believe the unnamed Shunammite boy was a forerunner or a precursor to the fact that God was going to send his son Jesus and be the perfect lamb for this world. Oh, it gets better. Listen, Elisha, he sent Gehazi with his cane. That didn't work. He came back and he tried four other times. So five times Elisha tried to heal the boy. Did you realize that five in the Bible is the number of grace? You say, I don't believe in all that Bible symbolism. <laughs> it gets better. The boy in the scripture experienced the death and a resurrection. So did Jesus. The Bible says when he healed him, the boy came back to life and he sneezed seven times. What does that sneezing do? It was to get rid of the toxins. It was to get rid of the poisons in his system. We sneeze because we have an allergy, right? And we sneeze to get rid of the irritants that are in our system. Jesus came to get rid of the irritant of sin in this world. You say, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. Listen, it gets better. <laughs> because some of us feel like, Okay, I'm stuck in this unfulfilled promise, and I don't know if God's ever going to come through. I hear you say he's the moment maker, but Sean, prove it to me. Well, here it is right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to all of us to the glory of God. Some of you are like, God, I don't know if you're really going to be able to come through. God, I don't know. Listen, he sent Jesus to rescue the moment. And he can rescue your moment. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me today? Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. So when is Jesus not enough? Well, Sean, I'm hoping that this per I'm hoping this will happen. Listen, Jesus is not only enough, he is more than enough. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And I want to tell you today, there's some of you in this room, you're ready to tap out of your life. You're ready to tap out of your job. You're ready to tap out of a parenting situation or your marriage. And, and you're like, Sean, I don't have any hope. God can't. Listen, God can do more in a moment than you can do in a lifetime. 
with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, here's how I know God is still rescuing moments because he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the promise. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, there's some of you here today, you have never, ever experienced the grace of God through a relationship of Jesus Christ. You say, wow, that's crazy story about how a a boy who's dead can come back to life. Let me tell you a crazier story. How a 17-year-old teenager can kneel beside of his bed in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and stand up and Jesus makes me new. And some of you, you've got that same story. There's been a time and a place in your life that Jesus made you brand new. Some of you here today, you've never made that decision. You've never fully given your life to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you today that today you have the opportunity to make a moment that will forever shape your life. This is your moment. You say, well, Sean, I come here, I'm religious, I check the box, I, I even try to read my Bible a couple of times a year, like, like I do these things. And listen, all of that stuff is good, but until you meet the moment maker, it doesn't quite make sense. It's nothing more than good moral behavior, and God's not into just you having good moral. He didn't. Behavior modification is not his goal. Heart transformation is his goal. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Sean, I have never, ever began a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I've never fully given my life to him as Lord and Savior. If you've never done that today, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for allowing me to come and hear this message and figure out who you are. Today, Jesus, I open up my heart. I invite you to come into my life to forgive me, to cleanse me, and to make me brand new. Jesus, I give you my life today, and I surrender it fully to you as Lord and as Savior. Thank you for saving me today, Jesus. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed over all of this room today, I wonder how many of you for the very first time, that decision became a reality in your life. If that's you today, I just want you to hold your hand up all over this room. Sean, today, I for the very first time decided to give my life to Jesus. Hold your hand up high all over this room. All over. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Say today. Sean, I mean business, like today is my day. Today is the day that I met the moment maker. And I'm not gonna worship the moment, I'm gonna worship the one who made it. Anybody else? Say, Sean, today I made that decision. I'm not ashamed of it. I believe that today was my day of salvation. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. There's at least one, Lord, there may be three, five, ten people here today who for the very first time gave their life to you. God, thank you. Thank you for salvation. That means deliverance. That means someone being set free from the penalty and the bondage of their sin and being given over to you in a relationship. That's awesome, God. And Lord, I pray today that we will leave this place and realize that God, you can rescue moments. Lord, don't let us bury those promises. 
Let us bring those promises back to you. God, you said you would do this. And I believe you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.